Hello, everyone. This is Rick Thomas and Life Over Coffee. We're doing Life Over Coffee. The meaning of our ministry is that anyone can do Life Over Coffee. And so our goal in life is to teach people, equip people, train people how to sit down with another person and just walk them through any kind of personal problem, situational difficulty, or relational challenge. And so we can do Life Over Coffee. If we can serve you in any way, as always, please let us know. What I want to talk about here is this idea of trusting the author of your story. The author of our story, of, of our all of our stories, of course, is God. And so I want you to think with me for a moment about what does it mean to be a, a bit player in a grander epic. The Christian life is God inviting us into his story that is coming true. We are not inviting him into our story, hoping that he will make our stories come true. Maybe you have had that experience doing life over coffee with someone uh, where they, sometimes you'll hear it said this way, I tried Christianity and it did not work. Or maybe you will hear somebody say that I expected God to do this in my life, but it did not happen. Therefore, I am angry, disappointed, or frustrated. A person who talks like that, now, by the way, I, I am that person. I have talked that way on more than one occasion, but an individual that is talking that way is actually inviting God into their story and hoping that God will make their story come true. But that is not the Christian life. The Christian life is God inviting us into his story that is coming through, uh, coming true. And so as you ponder these thoughts, here's a question. What difference does living in a larger story make? God's story. How does the knowledge of having a small part in a more fabulous narrative shape and influence your life? Let's talk about it. Again, this is Rick Thomas. We are doing Life Over Coffee, and I want to get across this point to you over the next few minutes, learning how to trust the author of of your story. So I want to share a few thoughts with you. And before I do that, I did receive this note. In fact, it just came in today. Lucia put it in our Slack channel. And she said, a, a Justin, uh, a pastor wrote in and he said, I have a church member that I have been counseling right now. He is reading Rick's book, Change Me. And he said that Rick's teaching has had the most impact on his personal life in more than 20 years. He said that Rick should have titled the book Change and then he used his name, you know, like change Peter, change change Rick, change Biff, change Mabel, uh, that I should change it uh, to his name because God is using that book to change his life. And so, Justin, thank you for letting me know. I do know uh, the friend that you're talking about. Love him dearly. Had the opportunity uh, to speak with him many times when we were out in Springfield. And thank you also for uh, taking uh, that book and using it uh, in part of the counseling work that you are doing out there. I was talking to another pastor. Uh, it was probably a, a year or so ago. His name is Matt, and he is in SoCal. Uh, 
and he uses our book, Get Ready. Uh, it is a pre-marriage marriage book. You can use it in either one of those seasons of your life. It's an excellent pre-marriage book. Uh, he, Matt, uh, the, the associate pastor out in SoCal, uh, he is using Get Ready as his premarital, as part of his premarital counseling, and I've heard that story before. I was talking to a gentleman today, and he has a daughter that's getting married in December, and I recommended that he get that book, Get Ready, and give it to his daughter. I did some marriage counseling, oh, well, about a year and a half ago, I guess, now uh, with some friends of ours, and of course, they went through that book too. And so whether it's changed me that this pastor is using in Missouri or Get Ready that uh, Matt is using in SoCal and that I have used as well, uh, please take advantage. You can find those books on uh, Amazon. And then, of course, my other book is Suffering Well. I, I, I'm not a good writer, okay? I, I admit that. My, my books are more of a technical nuts and bolts get into your business, uh, messing with your affairs type of book. And so it, it really, as, as um, my friend Jeff Mears, one of our graduates of our mastermind program, uh, he told me, he said, it, it's just, it pokes you in the chest. And he did not mean that in a bad way. And so I'm, I'm not a great writer, and I do understand that, but I write more of a technical, from a technical workbook perspective, because I'm not interested in, in writing books just to be writing books. I, I want to write books that really have that, that analysis, diagnostic feel to it that gets into uh, your heart and ask you some, some pointed and direct questions, hoping that the Holy Spirit will engage you while you're reading that book and working through those questions. And, and at the end of each chapter, I, I put a list of questions so that you can do that. And from what Justin is saying from his friend that he is counseling and others have said uh, they have benefited from these three books, Change Me, Suffering Well, and Get Ready. And so you can find those on Amazon. And I wanted to share that note with you. All right, so what I want to talk about here is, is this idea of trusting uh, the author of your story. Maybe you can think about uh, dancing. And so let's say that you are a little boy or a little girl, and you are dancing with your father. Of course, you don't know how to dance, and so you stand on his shoes as he moves across the dance floor. And so you are following his lead. You are trusting him, the author of the story. And so that's the big idea that I want to communicate uh, to you for a few minutes, uh, for a few moments. And, and maybe Maybe a good way of, of getting started is by asking another question. Do you ever worry about where you are in God's story, thinking that where you are at this moment is as good as, as it's going to get? Now, that is somewhat of a quote, because I've been in those dire straits before, and I do recall saying that, uh, making that accusation, actually, in, in the form of a question. God, is this as good as it's going to get? Now, some of you can really relate to that. And so the question is, do you ever worry thinking that this that, that you are in God's story and this is as good as as it's going to get? Now if if you are like that, then I'm going to remind you of what I had to remind myself, and that's reminding you that the beginning of the story that the Lord is writing in your life is not the whole story. And, and it's not even the end of what he is doing. 
Philippians 4, 6 talks about that, that uh, that which God has begun, he is going to complete. You know that verse very well. And only the end of the story will make sense about what he has begun, what God has started. The end of the story will bring clarity to all of the challenges and all of the disappointments along the way. The end of the story is the final scene that completes the beginning of all of our stories, which leads us to the all-important question. Here it is. Can we trust and rest in the reality that God is still working to finish the scripts in our unique lives? Can we trust and rest in the reality that God is still working to finish the scripts in our unique lives. Maybe sharing another story with you will help to bring clarity to what I'm saying. The beginning of the human story was a good and perfect story of a man. His name was Adam. God and Adam reciprocally enjoyed each other. And then sin entered the world and things began to break down by the spreading destructiveness of sin incrementally. And then Adam Adam turned his back on God, and and chaos became our ubiquitous experience. Though the curse came, God would not leave Adam. God will not leave us alone. The Lord initiated a plan to redeem humanity from the disorder we not only caused, but we seem to enjoy. This worldview that I'm sharing with you is the gospel. The Bible is the story of God keeping his promise of redeeming humanity from sin. The great adventure of the Bible is God completing what he started. Our God brings his story, his story, not ours. We are the bit players. We have small parts in this grander narrative. And so our God brings his story to a glorious end, and you and I are living in the midst of that grander story. How does this truth control you? How does this truth manage your emotions? How does it manage your your thought life? Are you aware that you're not a puppet? Are you aware that you are not a spectator? In the story that God is writing, though he is writing the script like the little girl or the little boy standing on her father's shoes as they move across the dance floor, God is writing the script. But he calls us to make real and practical decisions that move the story along. And of course, your story, like my story, has so many twists. It has so many turns. It's hard to understand how the the sum of all the moving parts fit into a harmonic whole when I think about the billions of people on earth today and the billions of people that have lived. It's hard to believe it. God, the master writer, is writing a cohesive story. And as you listen to this, you ask, but what does this part have to do with that part? And and how is God going to work this into that, into the overall theme of the story? And why did the author, capital A, the author add that part? And why did he take out the other part? The subplots, the drama, the side stories. 
and the apparent distractions are part of God's overall plan. Other than Christ, maybe nobody knew this better than Joseph. Now, you can argue other people, of course. Job would be a good argument. But no doubt, Joseph understood what I am saying here, the subplots, uh, the twists, the turns, the side stories, the apparent distractions, and the drama. Joseph had a hard life. Now, if you're not familiar with the life of Joseph, I would encourage you to take your Bible, go to the very first book of the Bible, and just read it. It's a short story. Just read this story about the life of Joseph. It starts in chapter 37, and it goes to chapter 50. It's a very short story. His experience was one of rejection, betrayal, and personal suffering. But he was also God's man, whom God chose to live that complex life to push God's plan toward fruition. Think about that. God has called you. Let's say, I assume that you are a Christian. God has, has called you. He has chosen you. He has lifted you up out of the mire of sin to live a complex life as we all do to push his plan toward fruition. Uh, part of the text, uh, let me share with you uh, Genesis chapter 50. This is the end of the story. This is after Joseph had gone through all of these uh, destructive and disastrous and distracting things. And he's finally come to the place where uh, his brothers, who were really uh, at the bottom of a lot of it, uh, it all, all of it was about to come out. And, and they were about to reconcile with Joseph, and his brothers were, were a little bit nervous <laughs> now, now that Joseph knows that we were behind it all, uh, that uh, Joseph's going to do something to us. And so his brothers were nervous. And so this is what the text says in, in Genesis 50. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. And so they sent a messenger to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Jacob is saying, say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And so his brothers is using, are, are using the words of, of, Joseph, of Jacob to try to assuage the evil that Joseph could perpetrate on them because of all the atrocities that they placed on Joseph. And then they go on to say, And now please forgive the transgressions of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. And so that is Genesis 50, 15 through 17. That's Joseph's brothers realizing that now their daddy is dead and Joseph may not hold back and just let them have it. And so they bring the words of Jacob to bear, saying, please forgive us. Uh, please show mercy to us. Joseph's brothers wanted mercy as you can see from uh, that text. Now, the perspective that Joseph had, the, Joseph's response to them, to that nonsense, uh, to that somewhat gaslighting that the brothers were doing to Joseph, Joseph's response to that is the response that I need daily. And I want to share with you 
the response of Joseph. It's verses 19 through 21. And this snippet gives me the wisdom to understand how to put God's glory on display. I want to learn from Joseph's humility and Joseph's faith. Here's what the text says in response to his brothers. But Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, my brothers. I will provide for you. I will provide for your little ones. Thus he comforted them, and he spoke kindly to them. Now, that is a profound story when you think about all the evil that they perpetrated on Joseph. But Joseph had this sovereign view of a grander story, and he was living in it, and he understood this grander story, and so he could rest and trust God for the fulfilling of that story rather than taking vengeance out on his mean brothers. Tim Keller said it this way, Only God can deal with the evil that people do without becoming evil. Putting myself in place of God is what gets me in trouble. I don't know if you've ever done that. Uh, If you've ever gotten sinfully angry towards someone and just let them have it, well, that would be a case of putting yourself in the place of God. If I were to yield to, for example, the, the temptation to excessive worry, which would be another way of putting yourself in the place of God. And I do on occasion find myself yielding to the temptation of worry that I I would think that, that I know what has to happen, has to happen, and believing that God might not get it right. That's what worry is. Worry is me knowing what needs to be done and not really believing that God will follow through. That is at the heart of worry. And at that moment, I need to repent, which means leaving to God what belongs to Him. What belongs to God? His right to write my story. Now, let me provide you some other examples of what I'm talking about when we want to take the reins of the story away from the Lord, like what Joseph said, am I in the place of God? And so let me give you three illustrations. Are you living in resentment? Are you living in anger? As I was illustrating earlier, that's one of the ways to stand in the place of God by taking vengeance out on someone. Are you living in resentment? Are you living in anger? Are you living in unforgiveness? That's three illustrations in addition to worry where we put ourselves in the place of God. Now, if you live in any of those places, then you what you're hoping, what your desire is, is to take, take God's right to repay evil from him while choosing to exercise that right for yourself. Unforgiveness, for example, will shrink you down into a much lesser person than what God would want you to become. If you try to win, you will most certainly lose. We need to learn the lesson of Joseph. When someone wrongs you, it can feel right to retaliate sinfully. If you do this, you're just one step from self-righteousness, elevating yourself above another person. 
If Joseph would have stood in the place of God, he would have stood in a, a higher righteousness looking down on his brothers, exercising judgment upon his brothers because he was standing in the place of God. Self-righteous people are some of the evilest people who ever existed. Self-righteous people are the ones who put Christ to death. Now, I'm talking about myself right now, not you. I have stepped in that position before. I have looked down on people. Self-righteousness is a temptation for me. Joseph's refusal to put himself in place of God ended up putting God on display. His brothers and the entire Egyptian world saw God's greatness through the suffering of Joseph, through God's suffering servant's humility, because he refused to stand in that place of God's, uh, God's position. And so when you live in God's story, you will have the best view of what is happening in your life. That is the objective for all of us. From the ground level, you'll become confused. Joseph's sovereign perspective holds two things together that rational thinking cannot hold together. One, life is hard, I will get hurt. Two, God is good, and he is working his plan. Life is terrible, but God is good This is how our great counterintuitive God operates. Evil is real, and it happens to you, but God means it for good. And so you and I need the wisdom to live rightly in his story. Remember Adam's tree, the cross of Christ? From the ground level, the gospel is the most confusing thing someone can display before anyone. But from a God-level worldview, it is the wisdom and power of God. And that is how Paul talked about it in 1 Corinthians 1, verses 23, 24, 25. He says, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And so the question becomes, how can you be kind to those who have hurt you? You leave the stuff that God handles to God. You view the circumstances of your life from God's level rather than ground level. You lean into the promises of God. Notice how Joseph's trust in God writing the story, rather than Joseph inviting God to live in his little story. Joseph had a great confidence in God, and that confidence gave him a confidence about what God would do even with his body after he died. In Hebrews 11.22, it says this, By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. You see, Joseph was so clued in on this greater story, he wasn't leaving Egypt. 
He had been in Egypt all these years, but because he was dialed into this greater story, he had confidence that even though his life was very hard, there is something grander going on, and I'm so confident about what God is going to do that he had enough faith to make mention of the exodus of the Israelites and even gave direction concerning his bones. And so in the book of Hebrews, we see Joseph giving that direction. And again, the reason he could do that is because he understood how he was a small part of God's higher plan. And so Joseph leaned forward and gave direction about his bones. He knew God would complete what he had begun. And then in Genesis 50, verse 26, it says this. So Joseph died being 110 years old, they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear. This is Exodus 13, 19, by the way. For Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry my bones with you from, from here. That is how we can have so much clarity, so much confidence, so much faith, so much rest when we are dialed in to this big idea that what God has begun, he will most definitely complete. And so we become people of faith and people of rest because we recognize that we are bit players in a larger drama that God is writing. And so we don't get lost in the distraction and the side stories and the challenges and the complexities. Now, I want to give you a God-centered test as I wrap up here. I want to I restate some of the things that I've already said, and I would love it if you, if you, you just pause at each point and write these things down and then discuss with someone what you think regarding either the questions that I ask you that I'm about to ask you or the ideas that I'm about to put forth. I would love it if you would just pause, write them down, and then, and then make a plan to share these things with a friend based on everything that you've heard thus far. All right, so number one. What difference does it make that you live in a larger story? Would, would you take time to reflect upon that and then have a discussion with a friend, maybe a spouse, a parent, a child, a neighbor, someone at church? But, but, but what difference does it make that you live in a larger story? What difference did it make in Joseph's life, knowing that his life was just hellish, his life he experienced so much evil and just one disappointment after the other. And when it came time to settle up with his brothers, he said, am I in the place of God? No, 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 no. What you meant for evil, but God meant it for good to bring about uh, this, uh, what he is doing here to the preservation of, of many people. And he went on to give, to give instruction about how to take care of his body when he dies and, and bringing him up out of Egypt and burying him in Israel. He lived in the larger story. What difference does it make that you live in the larger story? Number two, how does the knowledge of living in a larger story shape and influence your life? Knowing this, what kind of shape does it bring to your life? How does it influence you in your day-to-day decision-making, your day-to-day reactions to people or to disappointments? 
how does the knowledge of living in a larger story shape and influence your life? Number three, the Christian life is God inviting you into his story that is coming true, rather than you asking him into your life so your preferred life will come true. Now, I do know that some people in our community really struggle at this point because their worldview is wrong, it's 180 degrees off. They would say that, no, I'm, I'm not inviting God into my story to make my preferences come true, but their ongoing, unrelenting disappointment with how their life has unfolded tells another story that in, in a functional way, a practical way, they do live as though they have invited God into their story, uh, hoping that their preferred outcome will come true. And so the Christian life is God inviting you into his story that is coming true rather than you asking him into your life so that your preferred life will come uh, true. Two more. The Bible is the story of God keeping his promises, redeeming humanity from sin. What does that mean to you? Would you discuss that, talk about that? And then finally, Joseph put God on display by re refusing to put himself in place of God. Leave to God the things that belong to him. Joseph did not see himself in the place of God. And so when you worry, when you choose to get angry, when you are resentful, when you're unforgiving. Those were just four illustrations that I gave, but I'm sure that you can list more. Talk about what does it mean to leave to God the things that belong to him and how that not only magnifies him, but ultimately it releases us because I said earlier that if we try to win, we're going to most definitely lose. All right, so with that in mind, here's your call to action. I have just three question sets for you to work through. And the first one is, in what way have you been anxious or fearful this week about something? Be be specific with your answer and follow up. Will you talk to a friend about this? As you think about what you're going to talk to your friend, what, what will you tell your friend? Uh, or maybe you can turn it around. What would you want the worrier to say to you if you were that friend? And so think through these questions that I've just asked you and prepare to talk to your friend. The big question is, in what ways have you been anxious or fearful this week about something? Number two. How have you viewed life from the ground level and missed what God was working in your life and your family? The difference between seeing things, uh, I describe it sometimes like seeing things in the cornfield. Uh, and the reason I use that illustration is because when we were little kids back home, uh, my grandmother had a very, well, what appeared to be a, a large cornfield. As I got older, it wasn't that big at all. But when we were small, we would play in that cornfield. Uh, and it was a garden, actually. But when we got in the corn rows, uh, we couldn't see from one end to the other. And the corn was twice higher than our heads. And so we were lost in the cornfield, couldn't see the beginning from the end. And that's what I mean by the ground level. And sometimes we can live our lives that way where we're lost in the corn. And by the way, Sometime later, there was a gentleman that came to my grandmother's house, and, and he flew a plane, and he took pictures, and he flew over my grandmother's house, and he took 
he took a picture of, of her garden. And then he showed her that picture and hoping that she would buy it. And of course, back then in the 60s, that was unbelievably impressive. And so she bought it. And that picture is a very small picture, like uh, 9 by 10 or 9 by 11, whatever those are. And it hung on the wall for the longest time. And I stared at it a million times. But as I began to ponder, reflect upon that picture, I, I saw the cornfield. I could see the house. I could see the barns. I could see all the property. But as I was looking at the cornfield, it was like, that cornfield is not that big. From a sovereign view, the perspective is totally different. In the ground level, At the ground level, you can get lost in the corn. Question was how have you viewed life from the ground level and missed what what God was working in your life and your family? And then number three, how does your awareness of the gospel, God bringing good from apparent disaster, that's what the gospel is, God bringing good from apparent disaster, how does your awareness of that gospel story, how does it give you hope and vision regarding your circumstances? And so the big idea, what I'm talking about here, learning how to trust the author of your story. If we can help you in any way, please contact us. We have millions of words on our website. They're all free to you. You can get, you can read, you can watch, you can listen. That's how our resources are laid out. You can actually read what I just shared with you. Watch it on video. Listen to it on podcast. Our resources are built that way. They are free. That's our business model. We give our product away. And so I want you to have it. I, I, I not only want you to have it, but I want you to share it with other people. And so this article that I just shared, find it. Uh, on our website, learning how to trust the author of your story. Read it. Pull out these questions. You can watch the video. If you have friends that rather watch the video, uh, then say, hey, watch this. Those that rather listen while they vacuum or, or take a run on a beach, as my friend Joanne does on Marco Island, uh, you can do that as well. And so not only benefit from it, but also share it with a friend. And then if you would take all these questions that I've been asking you, I think that you would find them quite transformative. Now, all you have to do on our website is just go in the search box and type, type a word, suffering, anger, unforgiveness, worry, cynicism, whatever the word may be, just type one word in and there will be content that will come up and it is yours. It is yours free and I want you to benefit from it. Uh, and I trust that God would do a work in your life and then you share those things with others and, and that would be the, the greatest compliment that you can give our ministry is by sharing our resources with other people. Now, perhaps there are some of you who are able to uh, consider our mastermind program. We have an all online training program. I was just talking to uh, Wendy today, uh, our new friend Wendy, and she was asking about it. She didn't know about it. And I thought, hey, all right, so this is what it is. And so it's an all online self-paced program where we train people uh, to do the work of discipleship, to do life over coffee. And if you're interested in doing that, well, Again, it's all online, and so you can go on our website and you can check it out. We have an entire introduction, introductory course that is full of Q&A that, that answers all the questions that you probably will have. But if you go through that, it's free. If you go through that and you have more questions, then please uh, just 
ask, just hit the support link and, and ask your question, and, and we'll be glad to respond to you. And somebody will contact you if you're interested in a mastermind course, and they will talk uh, with you. And so please consider that. Learning How to Trust, the author of your story. And so as we get on our father's shoes and move across the dance floor, we're not spectators. We're not puppets either. We're going to actively participate, cooperate in this grander narrative that God is writing, knowing that what he has begun, he will most certainly complete. God bless you all. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.